Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, church, what a joy it is to be back together again. And uh, Happy New Year. What a great way to bring in the new year, huh? Come on. Yeah. Let's get some fervency in this room. That's right. What a great way to bring in the new year of being able to worship our Lord and Savior together. Talk about a New Year's Eve party, huh? Come on. And so let's get to it. Luke chapter 18, verses 1 to 8. Luke 18, 1 to 8. If you do not have a Bible with you, put up your hand. One of our ushers are coming forward right now. Make sure you have a copy of God's Word in your lap because we're going to, by the grace of God, move verse by verse, line by line, through this beautiful text. Luke 18, verses 1 to 8. And the text for that we're going to be looking at today is on page 511 in those Bibles being handed out. Page 511. Well, as we kick off 2023, loved ones, there's a lot of voices saying a lot of things in our world today. This is what's projected to happen, and this is what's projected to happen. This is what's going to happen with the economy, and this is going to be the housing market, and this is going to be the global economy, and all of these things. There's a lot of voices. Can we agree on that? But hey, let's tune into this. What's the Lord's word for his church in these days? What's the Lord's word for his church? And as we kick off 2023, in spite of everything that's going on around us in our world, when it would be so easy to be distracted, eyes off the Lord, eyes onto those other things, hear the word of the Lord right here. You'll see it on the screen, Romans 12, 11. It says this, do not be slothful in zeal. Do not be slothful in our zeal, church, but be, say it with me, fervent Let's go. Fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. There is God's word to God's church in 2023. And guess what? That's God's word to God's church in 2024 and 2025 and 2020 and 2021. And pretty soon you say that fast enough, you're going to get tongue-tied. That is the word of the Lord to his church. No matter what is going on, he says, do not be slothful in your zeal. Be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. That word fervency is the Greek word zeo, which means to boil hot. Anyone hot for the Lord? Anyone hot for the things of the Lord? You boiling in your spirit for the things of the Lord? We get fervent about a lot of things, right? God help us if we get more fervent about the Ottawa Senators than the Lord. God help us if we get more fervent about our sports than the Lord. God help us if we get more fervent about our social status than the Lord. He says, be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. Boil hot. And this section of Romans 12, it's in the section that says the marks of the true Christian. Okay, okay. So if that's the mark of a true Christian, here it is. Question. What is, based on that verse right there, keep it on the screen, team. What is a defining mark that drives how we're to live out the Christian life, the gospel life? Right from that verse, what is to be a defining mark of our lives? Laziness? Apathy? Indifference? What? Starts with an F. Fervency. Everyone say it. Fervency. That is to be a defining mark, one of the greatest defining marks of the life of every believer. Fervency to boil hot for the things of 
the Lord. You boiling hot? How's your temperature today? How's your temperature? It's easy to get weighed down, isn't it? It's easy to let the cares of the world start to take out the temperature for the Lord, right? It's easy to let those distractions start to come in and take our eyes off him. How's your temperature? Now, if you were to look up fervency in the dictionary, it would say this, Webster's Dictionary, displaying a passionate intensity. Can that be described by the people that know you the best of your walk with the Lord? A passionate intensity. So let's think about this. Biblical fervency, zeo, to boil hot. What does this look like holistically? Let's get a practical street definition on this based on the authority of God's word from the life of Jesus. You'll see it on the screen. Write this down. Fervency, living with the passion, priorities, and perspective of Jesus by his power and for his glory. There's biblical fervency. That's what it means to boil hot. Living with the passion, priorities, and perspective of Jesus by his power for his glory. You say, what are you talking about with his passions? Let's just break this down. Because we're introducing a new three-week mini-series here, church, called Fervent. We're introducing it. And so this theme of fervency is going to run through all three messages that are coming over the next three weeks. So let's get on the same page as to what we're talking about. Living with the passion of Jesus. A passion for the lost. Boiling hot to see the lost be saved. There's an agony over the lost as Jesus had. There's a boiling hot for the church of Jesus Christ. There's a heat for God's presence and God's glory in our lives, in our families, in our workplaces, in the church. That's the passion of Jesus. Here's what it means, the priorities of Jesus. It means there's, we're boiling hot for prayer. Think Jesus was pretty fired up for prayer? Think it was a priority? Oh yeah, just look at his life. It means we're boiling hot to get to the throne of grace with confidence. It means we're, we're boiling hot for his word. The priority of Jesus is God's word. So much so he is the word of God. A hunger for God's word. We're boiling hot and getting up in the morning. We're not letting apathy take over. Maybe when I get around it. No, we're, we're fervent to get in God's word and abide with him each day. Here it is. We're boiling hot. What's the priority of Jesus? To gather as the church. We're boiling hot. When we see Saturday night, we're, we're heating up. When we see prayer nights, oh, we're heating up. Small groups, oh yeah. Come on. Youth nights, yes. And everything else. Every opportunity we have as a church to gather it means we're boiling hot for that. It means we're his priority of stewardship. We'll hear on this next week, Lord willing, fervent stewardship. Stewarding our time, talents, and treasures that God gives us with fervency for the kingdom of heaven and not storing up treasures on earth. Here's another one. A priority of holiness in our lives. We're burning hot for holiness. Purity, righteousness, integrity, not compromise. Here's another one, burning hot for witness. Jesus' priority was witness. Here's another one, burning hot for humility, as we see exemplified in our Savior. Here's another one, living with the passion of Jesus, the priorities of Jesus. Now let's be clear on this, the perspective of Jesus. You say, what's the perspective of Jesus? Here it is, an eternal perspective, not a temporal one. 
Living for what matters most for eternity. This is why Hebrews 12 says, for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross and despised its shame and is now seated at the right hand of God. It's living with an eternal perspective. It's living with an urgency for the things that matter most in this world and not getting consumed and pigeonholed and distracted by the things of this world that are just tossed our way. It means living with an eternal perspective by his power, because what you'll find out really quickly here is that we can't white-knuckle fervency. You can't white-knuckle it. Fervency for the Lord is God-given and God-driven. It means we need to beg him for it. He will give it. It's what we are called to. Here's another thing, by his power and then for his glory. If I could sum up biblical fervency, I would say this. The life of fervency means God's glory shapes the whole story. God's glory shapes why you parent. God's glory shapes the husband that you are being or the wife that you are being. God's glory shapes what happens in your workplace. God's glory is the goal for why we worship and gather. God's glory is the goal for your integrity. God's glory shapes the whole story. There's biblical fervency to boil hot for the glory of God. And can you see this? Can't you see this theme of fervency throughout all of Scripture? Here, here's a few things. Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, our mission, make disciples of all nations, right? He says, go therefore. Notice, it's not just sit around. Just be apathetic. Just be indifferent. Can't you hear the fervency? Go, 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 go. And make disciples of all nations. Go, go, go. Here's another one. Matthew 22, 37 to 39. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. You hear the fervency implied in that? With everything you got, go. And love the Lord your God. Don't be indifferent. Don't be apathetic. Don't be complacent. About this, here's another one. Colossians 4.2. It says, continue indifferently in prayer. It says, continue steadfastly in prayer. Being watchful in it with thanksgiving. There's a steadfastness. There's a perseverance. There's a fervency. A boiling hot in our prayer lives. Here's another one. Philippians 3.14. My life verse. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. Press on. It's not just kind of get there when you feel like it. Press on. The picture is of a race. A sprinter, grueling, agony in a race. Fervency. Here's another one. Hebrews 10, 23 to 25. Don't forsake meeting together as the church. Don't stop coming together. Don't let other things get in the way. But all the more as you see the day approaching. What's that? The day Jesus comes back. All the more. Greater fervency as it gets closer to his return. You say, yes, Saturday night's coming. Everything else is off the table. Let's gather. Here's another one. Psalm 46.10. This can sound a bit like an oxymoron here. But being fervent to be still. A fervency to be still and know that he is God. Fervent stillness. Go figure, huh? Be fervent to get to the Lord and be still before him. Take other things off the table that are keeping you from that. And there's so much more. Be fervent for that uncommon communion. 
Make no mistake, you see it so clearly just for this little snapshot, and there's hundreds of other verses that point right to it. The call of the gospel life is the call to the fervent life. To boil hot for the kingdom of God. How's your temperature? How's mine? How's the temperature? It is an all-consuming fervency for the Lord and his glory. Here's our mini-series. Welcome to the mini-series, Fervent, the Gospel Life Through the Parables of Jesus. Why is this series so important? I think you're, you're starting to see why. As we kick off 2023, why is this series so important right now? Because look around us, loved ones. Look in your life. I even see it in mine. There's a deep fervency problem in the church today. A deep fervency problem. Another way to say it is this. Apathy and complacency is derailing the church. It's derailing the church. Apathy is epidemic. And what's the result? Just look around. The passion of Jesus, the priorities of Jesus, and the perspective of Jesus is taken flippantly. When I get around to it, attitude in how I open God's word, in how I respond to the preaching of God's word, in how I pray, in how I witness, in how I attend the gathering of the saints, in how I serve in the church. Just a flippancy when I get around to it. Where's the fervency, loved ones? This is a sobering word that Jesus speaks to a church that was struggling with this as well. Their fervency, the church in Laodicea. You'll see it on the screen. It's a sobering word. I'm going to read verse 15. He says this, I know your works. See, they're doing the things. They're doing the things. He says, I know your works. I see. You're going through the motions. Watch this. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. Verse 16. So because you are lukewarm, when I get around to it, Christianity, because you're lukewarm, and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. It's written to a church. That can describe the church in North America today very clearly. And maybe some of our lives here tonight. Lukewarmness is pervading the church today. Charles Spurgeon said it this way. You see it on the screen. He says, the man is saved, but we've confessed Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We've confessed him. We've wanted our get out of hell free card. We've confessed him, but he's not hungry or thirsty after God. That's just right now in love. Right now in love. Hear the word of the Lord. I just say, let's just get real before the Lord. Say, God, is this me? Let's just do business with him. Where? Where have I lost my fervency? Where's my temperature lukewarm? Where's my hunger and thirst after you instead of the things of this world? How about this? In fact, he's specifically taught to be satisfied with this world, chasing after it more than the Lord, and is encouraged to be content with little of God. Are you content with little of God? Am I? I confess so often I am. Sacrificing the great 
for what is small. How about you? See, Romans 13, verse 11 drives this home. You, you'll see it on the screen. It says, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. Wake from sleep. So much of the church is just sleepwalking today. La la land. When I get around to Jesus, just indifferent to the things of the Lord. Maybe I'll go gather as a church. Maybe I'll get in God's. Ah, maybe I'll get around to it. Just wake up, church. Hear the word of the Lord. Wake up. Recognize the times, loved ones. Look what he says. For salvation, why? For, that's a conjunction, that's a connector with what was just said. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. What does that mean? The salvation of Christ's return, when he will make all things new. Salvation is now nearer than when we first believed. You've heard me say it before, I'll say it again. We are now the closest we've ever been in human history to the return of Jesus Christ. It's coming. Way closer than when, when Paul wrote this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Romans 13, 11. Salvation is near. Wake up. Fervent life. Let's go. Come on, church. Let's go. No more apathy. No more indifference. Hear the word of the Lord. So many people sleepwalking. God, help. Help, Lord. And here in this series, we are going to get a snapshot at what Jesus says the gospel life, the fervent life looks like. Praise the Lord, he outlines this and models it beautifully for us. He masterfully describes it through his parables. Now, there's 38 different parables in the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You say, there's more than 38. Yes, some are repeated. There's 38 different ones. Okay, in the synoptic gospels, I wish we could look at all 38, but we're going to look at three. We're going to look at three in this series. Now, what's a parable? Let's make sure we're on the same page. You'll see it on the screen. Write it down. Parable is a story or lesson from everyday life used to illustrate a spiritual truth. A story or lesson from everyday life. Illustrations all over the place in this world to illustrate a spiritual truth. And through these parables, Jesus highlights different aspects of the Christian life. But one theme predominantly runs through them, and that's the theme of fervency. And so today, in our text, we're going to see the gospel life is a life of fervent prayer. And you may say, wait a second, why start with prayer? Well, here's what we have to understand. Prayer is the defining description of what God calls his house to be. Isaiah 56, 7, my house will be a house of prayer. And so we have to understand this right here. When we talk about the gospel life, the fervent life, prayer is the path to God's presence and power in the church. Prayer is the path to God's presence and power in the church. Why do you think it's such a struggle to get to prayer nights? Prayer is the path to God's presence and power in the church. And thus, here's what it means right there. Prayer is the fuel of fervency. Prayer is the fuel. Because remember, you and I can't white knuckle it. It's got to be in the power of God. Prayer is the fuel of fervency. Without prayer, we're dead. And so the problem you and I face when it comes to prayer is that we struggle to pray fervently, don't we? Anyone else struggle to pray fervently? Maybe just me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. We're in church. Don't lie. It's all good. All right? So here's the thing. We struggle to pray fervently. And we often... 
let's be honest, we lose heart. We lose heart when we pray, and the result is prayerlessness and not seeing the response of the Lord, his power, presence, and glory that he would give in his time and way had we kept praying. That's a sobering word for us today. So let me encourage you as we kick off 2023, let this set the trajectory for the year right here. Big idea of the text. Because God is faithful, we must pray fervently and not lose heart. That's such a good word to launch into 2023. Because God is faithful, we must pray fervently and not lose heart. Heart. And here in our text today, we're going to see three truths we must trust God in if we are to pray and not lose heart and see his glory displayed in your life, in mine, and in this church. Ready to go? Luke chapter 18, 1 to 8. Let's stand to honor the authority of God's word. Let's read this nice and loud, church. Let's go fervently with some passion. Parable of the persistent widow. Kids, open up your Bibles. Let's go nice and loud, guys. All right, verse 1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him, saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Hear the word of the Lord. All God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. All right, here we go. First thing we see right from these first five verses is this. To pray and not lose heart. Here we go. You must trust God's path for prayer. You must trust God's path for prayer. What's his prayer? Path. Here it is. Keep coming. Keep coming to him. Keep coming to him. Fervency declares, I'm coming, God. I know I've been coming a lot. I know I've been here before, but I'm coming again. I'm coming, God. Question, will you resolve to keep coming to him? You're going to resolve to keep coming. Let's get our context. It's a short time before Jesus' crucifixion, and Jesus is making his last journey from Galilee to Jerusalem for Passover, where he'll be crucified. And notice verse 1, the very first word. Did you see it in the text? Go back to verse 1. See the very first word of the passage? What is it? And. And. You know what that is? That's a conjunction. It means it's tied to what was just said. Okay? Proper biblical interpretation. You have to read what was just said before that. And it's connected to chapter 17, verses 20 to 37, where Jesus is speaking to his disciples and teaching them about the kingdom of God. And how they are to live with urgency in light of him leaving them. And then he's coming back again soon. And Jesus has just finished telling them in verse 25 that he must suffer. And by extension, if he's suffering, they would too. Verse 25. He must suffer if the kingdom of God is to advance. He's talking about his crucifixion there. And in verses 26 to 30, he gives a very sobering word with two examples. He gives a warning from the times of Noah and the time of Lot, 
which could describe our world today, where people were so absorbed in the things of this world, they were lured into a spiritual sleep. Just absorbed. Notice the text. Go to 26 of chapter 17. It was just in the days of Noah. So it will be in the days of the Son of Man. Jesus says it's going to be this way. They were eating, verse 27, eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Just spiritual la-la land. But he doesn't stop there. Verse 28, likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking and buying and selling and storing up treasures on this earth and planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. Just spiritually apathetic, completely unaware, completely absorbed in the things of this world. And notice what it says in verse 30 there. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. You will not expect it. It's coming any day. So in light of this truth, the disciples, put yourself in the disciples' shoes. Like, you're kind of rattled, right? You're kind of rattled at this moment. Wait, Jesus is going. Suffering's coming. And so how do we, how do we live out this? How do we live faithfully on mission for him? In light of this truth, the coming kingdom and the hardships they go through, Jesus calls them to persevere in prayer. Out of all the things he could have said to them, what's the number one thing he says? Persevere in prayer and don't lose heart. Look at verses 1 to 5 again. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice. Can't you just picture that widow? Give me justice against my adversary. And for a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, can't you just hear the annoyance in this judge's voice? Look at the text. Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so she won't beat me down by her continual coming. He's like, I'm exhausted by you. Just, I'll give her what she wants already. Parents, you can relate. (laughs) I'm just exhausted already. All right, all right, all right. See, Jesus tells the story of a judge and a widow. And now a judge and a widow, it's interesting, they're on opposite ends of the spectrum, the societal spectrum, right? So a judge is on top of society. Widow is at the bottom. Widow's at the bottom. Judge has lots of power. Widow's got no power. The judge has much to give. The widow has nothing to give. Why? Because if you're a widow in the first century, it means your husband's dead. It means you have no kids, you have no income, which means in that society, you have no hope. This is the desperate situation of this woman. She is completely dependent on others. And in this case, on this judge to give her justice because she's being oppressed. And we don't know exactly why, but it means adversary. She says, give me justice against my adversary. That means opponent, one who's bringing a charge against her. And what we see, if she's so adamant to say, give me justice, she's innocent of the charges being brought. So here she is. She knows this opponent is coming and being wrongfully accused But here's the problem she faces. The judge doesn't care about her. Did you see it? The judge doesn't care two cents about this woman. Notice in verse 2, he says, 
boldly, arrogantly, I don't even fear God. I don't fear God. I don't, I don't have any desire to revere him or honor him. Maybe that's some of us in this room tonight. I don't fear God, whatever. My life is my life. I'll get around to God maybe later. Really? You want to risk it on that? You want to risk your eternity on that? He says, I don't fear God. I don't have a desire to honor him. Or notice the text, verse two. I don't respect man. Not respecting man means I don't give any attention to the needs of someone else. This is by his own admission. You know what that means? This judge cares for no one but himself. He's in it for him. And yet this woman's got no other path to justice. She's got no other path. She's completely dependent and desperate for deliverance. So she keeps coming to the judge. Verse three, pleading with him to answer her plea, give her justice. And he keeps refusing and rejecting her until verse five, he gets so beat down and bothered by her perseverance that he just gives her the justice she's after just to get rid of her. He's like, get out of here. Now live in the text. I was chuckling as I was prepping this. The word, the term beat me down in verse five there, if you circle it, it means this. It means to strike under the eye. It means you get a black eye. So the picture here is a boxing match. Now just picture what's going on. I love Jesus as you, sir. Master storyteller. You've got this powerful judge in one corner. Then you've got this weak widow, helpless widow, on the other side of the boxing ring, and she's just going up to this judge, just pounding him. She's boom, 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 just striking him under the eye. She's like, boom, boom, boom. She's like, give me justice. No, boom, give me justice. No, boom, give me justice. No, boom. She's just coming at him. He's like, boom, boom, just getting pounded. And he's getting the black eye. Isn't that amazing? I just love that picture. Jesus is awesome. He's like, give me justice. Boom, give me justice. Boom. Don't do that on your siblings, kids. I don't, don't think I don't see you smiling, front row. All right, here's the thing, though. She's, she's coming up to this guy. Just, just, no, no, no. Until finally he's like, please, just go. Please. In the same way, watch, watch, watch. Watch what Jesus is doing. In the same way, this is how Jesus is instructing his people to persevere in prayer and to continually come to him in it. As such, notice what Jesus is doing. He's showing us that God's path for your prayer life, for mine, it's not a one and done thing. The path for our prayer lives designed by God himself is to persevere in prayer, to keep coming, to keep striking, to keep coming again and again and again and again by faith and not lose heart. Well, I don't see the answer. I'm coming again. Justice. I don't see. He didn't do it yet. Justice. He refused. Justice. Again and again and again, even when there's no visible evidence. This is why Ephesians 6.18 says this, pray at all times. Pray at all times, church. All times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance with all fervency in prayer, making supplication for all the saints. Don't stop coming. Don't stop coming. Don't stop coming. That's by God's design. So often, there's why we lose heart. We say one prayer. We're like, well, God didn't do it, so I'm on my own. 
right? Well, he didn't answer that. It's up to me now. I said it once. Maybe I'll say it twice. He's like, keep coming. I've got something greater for you than what you even are asking for. I've got me. Come on. Keep coming. Don't lose heart. Fervency declares, I'm coming, God. I'm coming. I'm in the ring. I'm coming. Watch. Will you resolve to keep coming to him? What are those areas or items? I was very convicted by this this week. Areas or items that you've stopped praying about because you've lost heart. Maybe it's that salvation of that lost one, that lost loved one. Maybe it's, well, that situation will never change. Maybe it's that provision that you or your family desperately need, and yet you haven't seen it, and so you've just lost heart, and now taking it on yourself. Well, now it's up to me to do. And yet God promised, I will meet all of your needs according to my glorious riches. What, is the, what are those things you've just lost heart on? Is you're coming again and again, and it feels like you're repeating the same request time after time, you're not seeing the result. Do you ever feel, hey, let's just be honest. Do you ever feel like you're nagging God in your prayer? You feel like you're nagging him by saying the same thing? Well, there it is again and again. And again, you feel like a nag, right? I can feel like a nag. This God again, do you ever feel like he's responding like this judge will? Give it up already, right? We'll see in the next point, that's not the case at all. But we can stop. Hey, hey loved one, here, here, here's, here's the word of the Lord. Look up here, eyes up. Love seeing it back row, good job. Don't stop coming. Don't stop. It's designed by God that way. It wouldn't take faith if it's a one and done thing. Don't stop coming. Write it down. What is that for you? Keep coming. God hears it. He knows how that situation, that person, whatever it is, is impacting you, and he wants you to come. Resolve right now as we kick off 2023. You want to talk about the best New Year's resolution you could ever make? Here it is. Resolve to keep coming to the throne of grace. Again, again, and again. There's the number one New Year's resolution that you will not see on any top 10 list, except for God's which is the only one that matters. I'm going to keep coming. Trusting. Resolve to take, him, take his word, not coming on your own selfish agenda for some prosperity gospel. Well, God, I want more money. God, I want more health. God, I want more stuff. No, 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 no. You take his word. You pray his promises. He's going to answer this widow because he's a God of justice. You take his word, you pray his promises, you do it for his glory. You submit yourselves to his word, his will, his way, and say, Lord, I'm coming again about what? What is that for you right now? Lord, I'm coming again about, fill it in the blank. Just fill it in. I love Isaiah 62, 6 and 7. It says, give God no rest until he answers. Just like the perilous widow. She's not giving him any rest. She's coming. Isaiah 62, 6 and 7. Give him no rest. Don't allow him to rest. That's his desire. Will you resolve to keep coming? I wonder how many prayers have gone unanswered because you quit. 
when it didn't fit your time frame? How much of God's glory was not seen because you and I stopped coming? And we took it on ourselves and we settled for less and we missed being able to give God the glory and show himself powerful on our behalf. It's sobering, eh? To pray and not lose heart, you must trust God's path for prayer and keep coming. And secondly, if we're going to keep coming with fervency, we must trust God's character. What about God's character? That he's righteous. There is no fervency without a trust in the character of God. Verses 6 and 7. Fervency declares this. You are righteous, God. Question, Hope Ottawa, 2023. Will you trust his character? Are you going to trust that God is who he says he is? Watch, look at 6 and 7, back to the text. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I love that. Let's get some clarity here. Some of you may be thinking, wait a sec, is God the judge in this? Like, how do I approach that? If, If I'm such a bother to him, How can I approach him? See, in parables, each person represents someone. Okay? And in this case, the woman, the widow, who's helpless, dependent, needy, humbled, that's you and me. That's you and me. Completely dependent on the Lord. At all times, in all things. The woman represents God's People. Notice in verse 7, it says, Will he not answer the prayers of his elect, those who are saved in Jesus Christ, God's children, chosen before the foundation of the world, who would be saved? And you say, Okay, if that widows us, who's the judge? Who's the judge represent? Does it mean God is bothered by his children? I mean, I don't know about you, loved ones, but when I think of God as this kind of judge, um, I'm having a hard time coming to someone who cares nothing for me. And who isn't interested in me? Are you? How can I trust that? No, this judge is not the direct picture of God. In fact, he's an anti-type picture of God. Whenever you see in the Bible, you have a type that represents the character of God, a person who's a type, and then you have Jesus giving an example of what's called an anti-type, where... Hear this, it means that person is the contrasting picture to the way God truly is. And this judge in this parable is an anti-type of God. He is the contrast to the way God truly is. And as such, Jesus is giving a character contrast here, making the argument from the lesser, the unrighteous judge who's wicked, to the greater, the righteous judge, God Almighty himself. An argument from the lesser to the greater. And he says here, listen, notice the text. Verse seven, listen to what the unrighteous, verse six, listen to what the unrighteous judge says, that he would give her justice. He's gonna give her justice? And yet notice this, um, this wicked judge didn't respect or care about her. He didn't care, verse seven, about honoring the Lord. So as such, 
how much more? Will God give justice? Will God answer fervent prayers according to his word, according to his will for his glory of his elect? Who cry to him. The the term cry to him there means pray fervently to summon him intensely. Does that describe your prayer life? Summoning him intensely. Or is it, oh, when I get around to it. Summon him intensely day and night. What's that? All the time. Verse 7, rhetorical question he asks, will he delay over them? The answer is no. The implied answer is of course not. God never puts off his children. This judge was putting off this helpless widow. God never puts off his children. He is a good father. And here's the thing. You say, well, wait a second. Why doesn't God answer my prayers in my time when I need them? Here, remember this, okay, on the screen. If we think God is stalling in answering a prayer, it's not his timing that's off, it's ours. I'll say that again. If you and I think God is stalling in answering our prayer, it's not his timing that's off. It's yours and mine. Why? Because unlike this unrighteous judge, God is a righteous God. He is a just God and will only ever answer out of his love for his children by his word to accomplish his will for his greatest glory and their greatest good. And he will not delay to see that happen. But here's the question facing us. Will you trust his character? Let's drill down. Let's do a comparison. You'll see this chart. I would take a picture of this. And every time you're doubting God's character, pull it up. Here's the judge. Jesus says he's unrighteous. Verse 6, God righteous. I just love Psalm 145, verse 17. It says, the Lord is righteous in all his ways. Really clear. The judge is unkind. God is kind. Notice Psalm 145, 17. He's kind in all his works. The judge is not interested in this widow. Cares nothing for her. Look at God. He is attentive. Verse 18. The Lord is near to those all who call on him. The judge is refusing her. God receives. Look at Psalm 145, 19. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. Judge is unloving. God is love. 1 John 4, 8. God is love. He can only act out of love. Judge is unmerciful. Verse 6. God is mercy. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. His mercies are new every morning and great is his faithfulness. And that, loved ones, is just a snapshot. I just ran out of room. That's just a snapshot of the righteousness of our God. And so keep that chart on the screen, team, for a moment. Question, let's drill down. How often do we lose heart in prayer because we don't trust that God is who he says he is right there? We don't trust that God is good, that God won't keep his word. We may say it with our lips, but our lives are saying something else. I don't trust you, God, to keep your word. I don't trust that you're attentive and compassionate. I don't trust in your wisdom that it is superior. And I don't trust that you're working in complete and is in complete sovereign control over every part of every situation. And we think we know better. How often do we lose heart right there? 
It all comes down to, I don't trust you, God. Why do we lose heart in prayer? I don't trust you, God. Lord, help our unbelief. Amen? Lord, help our unbelief. James 4.2 says this, you don't have because you don't ask. You see what that means right there? There are times that God will limit his power to the prayers of his people. You don't have that because you don't ask for it. And when you ask, you ask with wrong motives. You're asking for your own glory, your time, your way. This isn't some prosperity gospel. You don't have because you don't ask, and you don't keep asking. And I wonder how many prayers have gone unanswered and how much glory of God is not seen because we've lost heart and we've stopped asking as a result of our unbelief in God's unchanging and righteous character. We say, you're a liar, God. It's up to me now. I'm stopping. See, fervency declares, you're righteous, God. Hey, loved ones, will you trust his character? Where do you need to repent of your unbelief in who God says he is? In that trial you're going through, can you still say in full faith, God is good and he's working even when it's so painful, even when I don't understand, I still believe God is who he says he is and I'm gonna keep coming to him and I'm not gonna turn from him and run to these other things. Where do you need to repent of your unbelief? This was so convicting for me in my own life this week. And where do you need to keep coming to him? Start right here. Start right here. Lord, increase my faith. I believe, but help my unbelief. I'm so prone to wonder. Start right there. See, to pray and not lose heart, you must trust God's path and keep coming. Keep coming to him. You must trust God's character, that he is righteous. He loves you. He is for you. He is for his children and will be attentive to their cry. And from this last point today, we land the plane. You must trust God's promise. What's his promise? He'll respond. God will respond. Here's the question from verse 8 we're left with. Fervency declares, God will respond. That's why I will keep coming. That's why I trust him. Because he will fulfill his promises. He will fulfill his word and respond. But question, will he find faith in you? Will he find faith in you? Look at verse 8. Go back to the text. This is beautiful. I tell you, Jesus says, he will, that is God will, give justice to them, the elect, those who cry to him speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes soon, will he find faith on earth? See, Jesus finishes with this promise that as his people resolve to cry out to him day and night in lives of fervent prayer, taking his word, praying his promises in their proper context, not twisting them for our own glory, as we take his word and pray, desiring his glory and not our own, he will answer them speedily. You say, all right, I'll, I'll get this done right away, man. This is great. Everyone say, hold it. Let's get clarity. Speedily means this in the Greek right there. Swift action that is appropriate for the specific situation. Okay, what that means is this. Speedy action when, ready? God's time comes. When it's God's time for that to be answered, it's done. 
speedily. It's not when you and I want it to be done. It's not when we think it would be convenient for us, like, hey, can you hook a brother up like today? Doesn't work like that. It's when God's time comes, he will actually, now, done. Okay, it's gone on for years. Okay, now, done. Maybe some of that will be going into eternity. Okay, now, done. <clears throat> he will answer speedily. In accordance with his word, his time, and in his way, which is the right time. Why? Because he's righteous. It's the right time. Will you trust his character? See, this is why we must trust God's character, his goodness, his wisdom, his love, his mercy, or we will lose heart. And can I just say something here? As a torpedo to the prosperity gospel, it is this. God is not obligated to give anything that he hasn't promised. Can I just say that? God is not obligated to give you and I anything he hasn't promised. That's why it's so important we pray the promises of God in their proper context. Because all his promises are yes and amen. And you know what? As we close with this illustration, I was thinking of this widow and I was thinking of myself. Do you know, for some of you who were a part of the church at this time, um, in God's sovereignty, we were not able to meet for 16 months in person like this. And um, it reminded me of, I have, first off, I would just want to say, I am not the, like the standard for fervency in prayer. I just want to make that clear. But this is something the Lord was chiseling on me over those 16 months again and again. He goes, will you keep coming, Ray? On behalf of your family, on behalf of this church, taking God at his word in those prayer walks day after day, after day, literally hundreds upon hundreds of prayer walks over those 16 months, taking God's word and praying it again and again over this church for 16 months when I could not see you face to face. And I'm, I'm coming again, God. That was the posture. Lord, I'm coming again. I'm lacing up my shoes I'm taking God's word. I'm going to my prayer garden in our neighborhood again and again and again. And I'm asking you to fulfill your promise that you would build your church, even though I don't see how you're going to do that right now. I'm asking you to fulfill your promise that your word is not bound and you'd be saving and sanctifying people. I'm asking you to fulfill your promise that as Jesus is lifted up, he will draw all kinds of men and women to himself. I'm asking you to fulfill your promise that your word will go forth and it will not come back void, that you would save and sanctify. I'm asking you to fulfill your promise that you would unify your church. There'd be no racial discrimination and division and all of this. I'm asking you to raise up a church, a generation of students that fears your name. That is your heart. I'm just gonna ask again and again, and again, and again, and you see no visible result because I can't even see you face to face. Raise up a church that loves to pray, Lord. Day after day, week after week, month after month. I remember that one month, five months, 10 months, 16 months, 
at times seeing nothing and other times only a glimpse. And then brings us to today. You don't think God answers his word? This church exists for one reason alone. God is faithful to his word. Pray and don't lose heart, loved ones. Trust God will be faithful. But the question we're left with is the same question Jesus asked his disciples in verse 8. Will he find faith in you? Faith displayed in fervent, resolute, passionate prayer that doesn't lose heart because it trusts God's path and keeps coming. It trusts God's character that he is righteous and will do what he says. And it trusts God's promise that he'll respond. And if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal savior, hear hear the exhortation from the Lord. Jesus is coming back very soon. He's coming back very soon. Question, will he find faith in you? You. This isn't between you and anyone else. This is between you and God right now. Will he find faith in you? Kids, eyes up here. Will he find faith in you? Not head knowledge, like, yeah, I know about Jesus, but a personal saving faith that believes Jesus is the only Messiah. And he lived the perfect life and went to the cross to pay the penalty for my sin because I'm a sinner in desperate need of the mercy of God. And he paid that penalty on that cross and died and three days later rose again from that grave, defeating the power of sin and death. And now he offers me the forgiveness of sin and new life in him. Will he find faith in you? Will you repent of your sin, turn from it, and confess him as your Lord and Savior? He's coming back soon. Why would you delay? Will he find faith? Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you are a faithful God. You are the righteous God. And we are needy, and we are desperate, and we are helpless without you. We cannot save ourselves. Just like that widow, totally helpless to save ourselves. We can't be a good enough person We can't come to church enough times. We can't even read the Bible enough times. Salvation by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. So Lord, I pray that that sobering question as we start out 2023 would just resonate and be impacted in our hearts. Will you find faith? I pray so for this church. I pray so for my life and every home represented here. And for those who've never confessed you as Lord and Savior, what a way to start the year. I pray they would turn and repent of their sin and confess Jesus as their Lord. Say, yes, Lord, I believe. Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are. And you would save their soul. Oh, may we be a church that calls on the name of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Loved ones, will you stand and respond in worship?